0: this episode of tales from the backlog just like every episode is brought to you by the wonderful patrons of the show some personal heroes of mine like chris nelson the top three podcast crew Zulgeek, eric guess rick firestone nick Ficori, jill soccer zna cupcake kyle christian s matt aka stormageddon jd doug leaf jason emery rob shack brian Skirsha randall and many more have all chosen to go to patreon.com slash jackson to kick me a few bucks and help support the show i appreciate all of you very much and if you listening would like to help support your favorite podcaster named dave once again that's patreon.com slash jackson just a couple bucks a month gets you some bonus content the ability to vote on polls for future episodes of the show and much more Any and all support in any form is always appreciated, and with that being said, let's monkey! everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to bring a game out of the backlog, play it, and discuss. My guest today is a friend of the show, host of the Nostalgia Arcanum podcast, and grog enthusiast Doug Leaf. Doug, welcome to the show. Avast you scurvy landlubber! <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm
1: really looking forward to this one. We can We can talk like pirates all we want. Because, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is a time to be silly for sure.
0: Hell yes, it is. Uh, today we're going to talk about the secret of Monkey Island. But before we get into talking about uh, pirates and grog and monkeys, assumedly, um, I want to give you a chance at the top of the show to talk about Nostalgia Arcanum, a podcast which I've guested on and is a really good time. So uh, w- tell everyone what the show's all about. Sure.
1: Uh, it's a, it is, as the name suggests, it's a nostalgia based show. So it's all about the pop culture things from yesteryear that people are kind of still obsessed with. I always tell the guests like, Hey, what's that thing that you won't shut up about? And no one wants to hear you talk about it anymore. Well, you can come mm-hmm. and talk about it with me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's movies, games, TV shows, anything. Um, and, and about the guest emotional connection to that IP and, and why they're still, you know, enamored with it all these years later
0: yeah exactly. So I was a guest on the Pokemon episode of the show because of course I was. That's the probably the thing I'm most nostalgic for is those uh, early days of Pokemon. And uh, something I like about the show, and it's different from this show and different from like you know, critique shows. You're not critiquing these things, you're celebrating nostalgia. Mostly,
1: yeah. I mean, I'm, if the thing is something I'm not super into, I'm not going to pretend I like it. But, sure, um, right. but yeah, no, it, the point is not to like necessarily break the thing down beat by beat. It's generally a very positive, just like, this thing is so cool. Let's talk about why this thing you know, is worth going back to and why people you know, still love it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, at least someone on the show has warm, fuzzy feelings about the thing you're talking about which is not always the case on this show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I we we're, we're truth tellers, Dave. That is our that is our ultimate goal.
0: <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yep. Uh so I give everyone the recommendation to check out Nostalgia Arcanum. Uh, at the top of the show, down in the show notes, you'll find links to uh to check it out. And uh yeah, uh perhaps if there's something you're nostalgic about, Doug would have you on and talk about it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. If anyone's uh you know interested in like they've got that thing that's like you know, they're that's just burning a hole through them uh, that they can't, they just can't contain it and want to talk about it. Yeah, hit me up. I, I think it'd be a great episode. Whatever, as long as you're passionate about the thing, then it'll be a good time.
0: Yeah, for sure. And speaking of nostalgia, like I said today, we're talking about a game that I think a lot of people have nostalgia for: The Secret of Monkey Island, which is a point-and-click adventure game developed and published by Lucasfilm Games for PC in 1990 with an enhanced edition remake developed and published by LucasArts in 2009. And uh, if you have not played The Secret of Monkey Island, this is, well, this is the way the show always is. Every episode, spoiler policy is. We will not spoil the story for you during the bulk of this episode. There will be a spoiler wall. You can check down in the show notes for a timestamp for when the uh, spoilers begin. So don't worry if you haven't played. Not that this game has like a a story that would be ruined if you even watch the ending on YouTube or something like that, but you know how people are about spoilers. So that's the way the show is. Elevator pitch. If you have never played The Secret of Monkey Island and you don't know what it is, um, I say this is a swashbuckling classic adventure game with a slick sense of humor. Uh, So for my
1: elevator pitch, just assume my arms are flailing wildly because I think I have to do this. (laughs) I have to do this as Stan. Uh, and and if you don't know who Stan is, we'll get to him. But uh, right. Say there, friend, Chum, good buddy. Do you like Monty Python? Do you think pirates are cool? Do you hate dying in video games? Well, have I got the point-and-click adventure for you. It has everything. Pixels, a user interface, rubber chickens. Come on down to Stan's previously-owned Floppy Discs, the best electronic store in the Tri-Island area, and pick up your
0: copy of The Secret of Monkey Island Trademark today. (laughs) I'm glad you threw that trademark in there. Yeah, that was excellent great elevator pitch and great voice uh by stan of course we'll talk about stan later um play time uh so i played the enhanced edition remake uh, i never played the original i played the remade version because i know myself uh, that's probably the best course of action for me it took me six hours to complete and i used a guide for the majority of the game so maybe if i were playing without a guide that would probably be significantly longer uh, how about you? Where where have you played this, and how long would you say it takes? So uh, this
1: will kind of merge into talking about our histories with the yeah. game. I did not play this back when it was you know fresh in 1990. Uh, this mm-hmm. was actually a blind spot for me. My first Monkey Island game was actually the third one, uh, which is you know fairly similar, although it doesn't have the like. Cute and charming pixel art style of the early '90s. It's it looks mm-hmm. more like a fully animated cartoon, uh, and it's wonderful. It's a great game. I so I never actually got around to the original Monkey Island until that remake came out, and mm-hmm. I played it on my PS3, just knowing like, hey, oh. I'm a point and click adventure guy. I you know this was uh, just you know, something I wanted to have under my belt. So um, I don't remember how long it actually took me to beat. This time I, I had a little tro- technical trouble getting the thing to run. So I just went with a um, – watched a playthrough on YouTube just to kind of remind myself of what was in mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So the way I would play a point-and-click adventure game back when I was, you know, actively playing them a bunch as a, as a kid, I would not play them in like one big setting. I think the the, kind of the ideal way to play these things is you pick it up and you kind of push at the edges of it for an hour. You know, you click on things. Maybe I didn't click on this before. Maybe I didn't Mm -hmm. try to say this thing or combine this item. And like over the course of a long period of time, you would slowly make more progress. I think trying to like chug these games, uh, any point and click adventure game really, in like one long play session, or if you're the kind of person that says, I got to finish this game before I start the next one, you might be doing yourself a little bit of a disservice. I think there's something to the like the fact that this is a very strong and unique flavor of game that mm-hmm. maybe you don't want to do it all in in one shot. So I would think your playtime might be spread across a very long period of time in little chunks that might collectively add up to 12 hours. It's hard to say, but gotcha. definitely, yeah, definitely use a guide if uh, you're struggling. I, I would, too.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, I guess we'll just pick up on that. So you said that you never played this game back in the day, but you said that you were into point and clicks. So what's your kind of experience with this uh, genre? Because I I think there's a reason that you and I are like a good yin and yang on this particular episode.
1: Yeah, and that may just have something to do with the fact that I'm about 10 years older than you, so that they were, this was more of just in the style uh, in the early 90s. And um, I mentioned, I don't know if you ever got around to it, but like, did you screw around with Zork at all? I did. Or, yeah, actually, okay. I did. Yeah. So Zork is a purely text adventure. This is a graphical adventure. And kind of the, one of the reasons I said like, hey, check that out, is because Monkey Island really sits on you know this continuum of game design. And it's this n- like next evolutionary step from something like Zork, where it's there is no graphics and it's literally telling you dungeons and dragons style you're standing in a tavern there is a mug of grog on the bar and you type in pick up grog and it says you can't do that i don't understand what you mean and you say okay get (laughs) grog and then you pick it up right um and then there were some ones that had slight graphical stuff and then you get to something like this where you're pointing and clicking in a truly visual interface and then that moves on to things like mist so this was really popular and it was a really nice respite in a lot of ways because virtually all games for the NES and there, I know there's some exceptions to this but for the most part your gaming experience for the for for the 80s for the Atari the NES and like the early days of like 16-bit stuff was jump shoot run to the right dodge mm-hmm. everything right with a handful of like sports things thrown in and one or two things like this. And so this was I think the, this game and games like it were a way for people who maybe were not, you know, th- were not good at stuff that it required twitchy reflexes or didn't, you know, just were not in the mood for that. Um, it was a way to kind of settle down and do something more cerebral. And as we'll talk about, these games kind of live and die in the writing. So, mm-hmm. th- so for me, it was like, you know, I, as much as I enjoyed all the, you know, jumping and shooting and running to the right. Um, it was really cool to settle into a different gameplay mode, explore a space, and kind of be enthralled by something that was more, like I said, about the st- the story or at least the moment-to-moment writing, the, the snappy dialogue, than than anything else.
0: Gotcha. So what what were some of the games, if you weren't playing The Secret of Monkey Island, what, what were some other point-and-clicks that you played back in that time?
1: So I was definitely a fan of a lot of the Sierra games. There were um, definitely King's Quest Six was way up there for me. Uh, mm-hmm. there were, I mean, there were a lot of these, I definitely played some of the space quest games as well. The Westwood studio also put out a bunch. So that was like, you kind of, your main pillars were Sierra and then Lucas, uh, the Lucas games like this one. And then, um, Westwood was kind of like in the, was the RC Cola, but they, but the Carandia <laughs> series was really good. Um, there were a lot of these and did for some reason. Yeah. I just, I didn't play as many of the Lucas ones back in the day. I don't have an explanation as to why.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, you, I guess you, you, you go along with any media long enough, you're just not going to get to everything. And there's not a good reason for it. You just yep. don't. Uh, no. So for me, um, so I, I grew up, I, I remember we had a computer in like the early 90s. I remember that because we, we had some games. I had like a, a game where you took pictures of dinosaurs and like the Oregon Trail and shit like that. Like, so I remember I played. Uh, Mist was the first like non-edutainment game I think I played, and I was way too young to play Mist. Uh, I just it was
1: we're all too just, young to play Mist. It's yeah, you know yeah. it's very obtuse. We did we actually did an episode of our show on it, and uh, right, um, our mutual friend Cole Ross was uh, kind enough to drop by there. But that game is, you know, it's almost like the absence uh, is the inverse of something like Monkey Island, which is constantly talking to you and cracking jokes and. You know, mm. the mist is like, here, wander through this empty island alone.
0: Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I think I might have been better served to play something like Monkey Island or, uh, you know, a similar game back then, but I didn't. So this was not a part of my uh, growing up playing video games. I struggle to think of any like traditional point and click game that I played until this one, except for The Last Door, which I played for the podcast last year. So this was like familiar because The Last Door is very much like this. Uh, Obviously less dialogue and more horror than Monkey Island, but that's basically all my experience. So like wanting to play this game is basically the result of hearing other people talk about how they grew up playing this similar to other stuff like this that I've done on the show. Like the reason I wanted to play Chrono Trigger and uh, Metal Gear Solid, just stuff that I missed when I was growing up. So uh this is part of that like gaming history curiosity tour and uh to get into some uh opening thoughts about it I thought that this was a really fun game um I think the humor holds up really really well I consistently uh, found this to be entertaining from that perspective uh I also come out of this with the uh knowledge about myself that I my brain just doesn't work with how these puzzles and things work I I am either too impatient or too um something to really wrap my head around what these games want me to do. So with a guide, I enjoyed this because of the writing and the story and the humor, uh, not because of the gameplay. So I'll give you my opening thoughts. This is not, um, I don't think this is
1: the best point and click adventure game. It's not my favorite. I don't know that it's even the best monkey Island game, Mm -hmm. but what it is is foundational. Right. Uh, Almost every point and click adventure game after this owes a debt to it. Uh, I think it did a lot for just the concept of how humor is uh, woven into games in general, because Mm -hmm. just like any, you know, there's one thing about kind of watching games evolve as a medium is uh, it's a little similar. Like you watch movies evolve, right? You go back to silent films or black and white films. There's a language to how movies get across stories and concepts and deliver, even deliver jokes that is endemic to that medium and it had to Mm -hmm. people had to learn like oh okay this is different than doing a stage play right how do we you know convey some idea with film and do something maybe we can't do live Mm -hmm. on a stage and games are the same way it's like okay you know yes we can put a you know an obvious like straightforward setup punchline into the game but it has to work with how you're interacting with the world and be delivered a certain way and with this everything had to be delivered via text. There was no voice acting at the time that was added in for the later remake. So I think the game does a lot. I think, you know, if you ever decide, hey, maybe I will go back and play a point and click, uh, point and click adventure game. I think this one's really, it's pretty good. It holds up, like you said, um, but there are others that are better. So it just depends on like, do you want the historical experience of saying like, oh, I've now played this famous game that's always on the list of like hundred greatest games ever made. Or do you want to say, oh, what's the thing that picked up this ball and ran with it that Mm -hmm. might be a a smoother ride in terms of the gameplay itself?
0: Yeah. And uh, not to kind of spoil future thoughts about the genre, but if I do play another one, I think I will kind of just skip the foundational pieces and go more with the ones that have uh like you said took the ball and run with it basically so uh we'll we'll get into that though so we'll take a little music break we'll listen to some of the awesome monkey island music when we come back we're going to set up the story and talk about the writing and stuff like that So in The Secret of Monkey Island, you play as Guybrush Threepwood, who arrives on Melee Island with the hopes of becoming a pirate. Uh, The name Guybrush Threepwood should tell you what kind of uh, writing and humor we're dealing with in the story. That's clue number one. Just to set it up at the beginning, you kind of wander into a local bar. You uh, are instructed to talk with the local, quote, important looking pirates in the bar uh, who are eager to help you. Um, They explain that in order to become a pirate, you need to complete the three trials. You need to get a sword and defeat the sword master. You need to find buried treasure on the island. And you need to steal a relic from the governor's mansion. Uh, You also hear tales of the dangerous local ghost pirate LeChuck, who's hanging out nearby doing ghost pirate stuff. And uh, off you go. And I said at the beginning, the story is like the plot is not the most important part of this game. You can well, you actually, I don't think you can guess where the story's going, uh, but the beat by beat plot is not what's going to be like driving you through the game, in my opinion. So it's just like a fun little jaunt through the island in various locations in that sense. You know,
1: it feels a little more like akin to like, if this were not a point of like adventure game, it would be a, a sketch comedy movie, which is kind of why I mentioned Monty Python at the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, think of like, Holy Grail, Like the the plot of Monty Python and the Holy Grail doesn't hang together at all. There's barely one. But minute to minute, like funny bits and sketches are happening. And that's a little bit of what the story is like here. So, yeah, the overarching plot is kind of a nothing. Um, There are certainly point and click adventure games that do have more interesting overarching plots. But that's not really the point. The point is just to have silly fun along the
0: way. Right. And the writing in this game really supports the idea of moving you from funny scene to funny scene to funny scene. Uh, this is a comedy game. And I I think I've talked about on the podcast before, or I've, I've said these words out loud somewhere before it all runs together at this point, but, uh, humor in video games is, uh, Pretty hit and miss it's probably as hit and miss as sketch comedy is sketch comedy can either be really fucking funny or it can be the worst thing you've ever watched and sometimes like if you're watching a sketch show the funniest thing you've ever seen will be followed up by what the fuck is this like who thought this was funny um games kind of feel like that to me too like games that try too hard to be funny are often not funny they're just kind of embarrassing sometimes this game's not like that. I thought this game was very funny, uh, really well written.
1: Yeah, this is a joint by um Ron Gilbert and uh, Tim Schafer, who's mm-hmm. that and that name I think your audience would probably know from things like uh, Psychonauts right. and um And Brutal it, Legend. Uh, <laughs> brutal Legend, which is funny. Um Psycho- yeah. I don't think Psychonauts and Brutal Legend are you know, they are very funny games. Whether you like the gameplay, there's there's a lot of issues with those, I think. But that's one of those things where, like, people love those games largely because the writing speaks to them, not so much the wireframe. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, like, one thing these guys know really well, they have a phenomenal sense of, of tone. And so they know how to, like, play to the tone and, like, the wavelength that this game and their audience is in. Which is, I think, why you're, you felt... Like you, you enjoyed it. Like I, they know how to like consistently hit this mark, and they just keep doing it. That like it just seems like well, what would be a you know a uh, a random or funny thing to happen uh, in this game? And it kind of goes to something that this is more of a gameplay thing, but it's always talked about, right? When you when you're playing a, a stealth game, you want it to be fun even when you get caught, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just a way of saying like when you're not playing the game perfectly, the way you're you know the designers idealized you would be playing, can you still have fun with the game? Mm-hmm. And for a point and click adventure game, the vast majority of times that you're going to point on something and click, uh, you're going to do something wrong, right? There's mostly a yeah. fairly prescriptive path of like, these are the, you know, this is how you use this item. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to make all of the wrong answers funny. And so I think they largely succeeded that. A lot of the pleasures of this game and the better ones in this, uh, better point and click adventures. I remember just having fun as a kid, just like walking around, just going like, I wonder what happens if I click on this. And nine times out of 10, if it's something entertaining, I don't mind so much that I'm not progressing the story or clicking on the right thing. At least I'm having fun just screwing around.
0: Yeah, even even those little messages you get, like, let's say you try to interact with something that you... You're just not doing the puzzle the right way and, and Guybrush will say like, ooh, that looks disgusting or something like that. But the the way the voice acting works, the way that it's written, it's it's written better than my brain just wrote out that little line right now. Um, you're right. That is uh, really entertaining. I'm glad you mentioned the word random in there because this did feel kind of like we need an item, right? Or you need an item to use uh, on a zip line what is the most random thing you can think of? And they're like, Oh, okay. Well, what if you had a a rubber chicken with a, a pulley wheel in the middle of it? That's pretty random. Right. And it, it, I think it walks this line really well. Again, kind of like humor where like they're choosing these random things, but they fit in the game. It's not, you know, Oh, look at this. It's such a random thing. It's a rubber chicken. Uh, no one really like comments on it in that way. It's a lot of these things are played off as normal things in the game, which I think kind of helps that, uh, fit. I mean, there's a rubber chicken with pulley wheel in the middle chops, uh, in the town that you go into. So it, I think that strikes a good balance. Yeah. All of the pirates are in on the joke, right? Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know, the, the, this world makes sense to them. And mm-hmm. so it, when it, Guybrush is mostly the only one who will point out when things are weird, or you know um confusing i it took me a long like I think until this go around with the game to like realize, oh, now I understand the joke because French for chicken is poulet, so I finally got the like, oh, pulley, poulet, oh God, okay. <laughs> and like that's gotcha. really, really like obscure and and stretching it, but like not every item in the game is that weird, but they are like funny versions of things, so like grog, which in real life would be you know, it's like whiskey and water or something <laughs> like here. It's this glowing green stuff that like eats through the floor. Right. And they, this like cartoon logic is always in play. And the, you talked about like the puzzles and like sort of feeling like, oh, I don't know how to, use, why should I use this rubber chicken on the, the zip line? Like when you do have the realization of what to do, the, the better point and click adventure games. And I think this, this one is in that category. It's like, it's, it's lateral thinking, but it's never so non-obvious as to feel like, oh, well, I just have to take every object in my inventory and rub it on every pixel on every screen until something happens, right? Mm-hmm. That's when you know you're struggling of like this is a bad game or poorly designed. It has to sort of – it has to ride that line between like put the key in the keyhole level of obvious versus, you know, what I just described. So like if it's right in that sweet spot, then it feels really good to make those deductions Um, and it, again, it all plays into the writing because usually if it's funny, that's going to be, you know, somewhere around where the answer is.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, another kind of like descriptor that I had written down to like, kind of give people an idea is like, this is like early to mid nineties, weird Al humor. You know, if, if you, if you're thinking about like the kinds of things that weird Al would put in his songs during like early era, weird Al. If you've seen um, the
1: film uh, UHF, his, his yeah. movie, that's a very good kind of analog to the the style of joke that's here.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's all, um, well, as far as I remember, yeah, it's all very uh, PG, very kid-friendly in a lot of ways. Um, if I, I, I mean, I don't think I'm missing anything in my memory there that would be like too adult, uh, you know? So yeah, Weird Al was the thing I wrote down uh, to give you kind of a, a tone example I have a a couple of uh, examples here for like other things that I just thought were funny. Um, You mentioned in your elevator pitch, whenever they say the words melee island or monkey island in conversation, they have the little TM uh, superscript for trademark after them, which I always thought is great. Uh, Lots of fourth wall breaks. There's a narrator in the game. The narrator will cut in to uh, talk about what's going on sometimes. Uh, Little stuff like that adds to it. Totally. And part of it is that this game was
1: originally developed, uh, you know, again, before voice acting was added. So there are jokes in the game that are like purely text based. That, mm-hmm. you know, like, the one that comes to mind is you meet a character who he says something about, like, you know, my favorite kind of piracy is conspiracy. And it, it's supposed to be spelled because conspiracy that joke Mm -hmm. doesn't work in audio form right Um, that's that's rare most of the jokes in the remaster still work even with the voice acting um the remaster is kind of nice because you can uh, at a moment flip back to the original art style and Mm -hmm. game like like with a touch of a button it goes back to being the original version of the game did you mess around with the uh the old school one at all
0: no, I read that. Or like you told me about it. I looked in the settings for like a couple seconds. I didn't see it. And I was like, oh, I'll look into that later. And then I forgot. So Yeah. I
1: I believe on the PS, uh, the PlayStation version, it was like with like the triggers, you could just toggle it anytime you felt like it, it would oh, just go okay. back and forth, which is cool. Um, I, I think the pixel art in this game is, it's not the best pixel art of this era, but it's pretty good. The if you want to have a good time and you want and you're really into like retro pixel art, point-and-click adventure games are a good place to look because they have these mostly static backgrounds so they could get away with more detailed, lush, interesting mm-hmm. paint painterly environments. So there's some cool stuff there. Uh so yeah, and, and the other thing that the pixelated version does, to some degree, that makes the pixel hunting in the environment a little easier because it's that old school 640 by 480 resolution so sometimes the interactable things actually jump out a little more or are easier to spot in the original looking version than they are actually are in the remaster where it's more like a cartoon design
0: interesting yeah um i had written down for talking about visual things that i did think that the things you need to interact with generally stood out well so like there was some pixel hunting but not as much as um well in the i feel like the the guy who's only seen the boss baby making boss baby comparisons to every movie now <laughs> uh, but compared to the last door which had like this really chunky pixel art style but it also meant that you had you did have to pixel hunt to find keys and stuff like that and i didn't really feel like i had to do that very often in most of this game i'll talk about places where i had to do that like there are a couple of overworld map screens that you go to, to move from location to location. And sometimes the locations you can actually visit are not keyed on the map. You have to just kind of hover over the whole thing and then you'll see, Oh wait, there's a thicket in here that wasn't marked and there's something there. So I need to like go back and kind of pixel hunt this entire map screen to find locations to visit. Other than that though, uh, not a whole lot of, pixel hunting for keys and shit like that which drives me crazy
1: yeah the obviously that's another metric of like how good is this point-and-click adventure game is how much time do i spend just taking my mouse and sweeping it left to right up and down the screen (laughs) until the icon changes and i recognize oh there's something there there are some modern ones uh, and i can't remember if the monkey island remaster does this i guess it doesn't because you you played it but um i think maybe the day it of the tentacle remaster does this. I know that uh, thimbleweed park, which is a throwback made by the same team will Mm -hmm. have a thing where I think if you push a button, your cursor will cycle to like the next available thing to click on. Okay. Or there there are games that where the, you can press something to make the clickable things light up and to kind of eliminate that problem. Because, yeah, that can be very frustrating. You can spend hours walking around in one of these games and like, well, I can't make any progress. And it's because the thing you need to find or interact with is very small and kind of, you know, hidden within the environment.
0: Yeah, it was an issue I had in The Last Door. Um, I did still have that issue here. but it Yeah, was, this, this game is not
1: immune from that, for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, And I I did have that issue where like, I would go in a room, I would feel like I was pretty comprehensive in like clicking on stuff and examining and just about like half of the rooms that I went in, there was something else that I was like, oh, okay, I I think I've clicked on everything and I didn't, there was something else that I just kind of brushed over and, you know, didn't, didn't interact with. So it did still happen, but I am... Like kind of half and half like, oh, maybe it's the game's fault. But also there's a part of me and my personality when I'm playing games like this where I really struggle to be comprehensive, you know?
1: Yeah. Like I said, there there is a, a version of these games where like literally all you can do is go, well, there is a limited number of interactable objects and people. And, a lim- you know, so I just need to st- co- try every combination of two things I can find until mm-hmm. something happens. That's obviously when these things are poorly designed there's there, like i said there's a happy medium where you're making deductions and you're struggling but at least the struggling is funny to tie it back to the writing right and and you're it's kind of singing i think this game is like i said it's not the best at this because it's early on in the 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 genre of these games there are others where this got smoother and better um but they never totally go away it is a little bit of a hazard of, of this genre um you i'm trying to think of other like comedy things that are worth noting here but I. Uh, I think you kind of hit them all. You've got memorable characters on your list here. And I think that's the other secret sauce here is that um, there's a lot of really fun characters here, so much so that almost every character that you really like guaranteed to show up in the sequels. They're all there.
0: Yeah. Um, I I did write that down as something to note, uh, because again, like the plot of this is not super memorable, but. Some of the characters like Guybrush and the old shop owner and Stan, who we've heard from earlier in the podcast, uh, the cannibals that you meet are all really memorable for one reason or another. I think a lot of that has to do with really, really charismatic voice acting uh, throughout. Again, I played the enhanced edition, which has uh, full voice acting and its really, really good voice acting, very cartoonish and uh, fun. Yeah, these are all the same voice. Like I said, the voice acting came in
1: in the series with Monkey Island three, and they mm-hmm. brought all of those voice actors back for. I uh, was there was Monkey Island four. There was a Telltale series, and there was also this recent one that was just released. Same voice cast, and it's the same voice cast they brought back for the remasters of Monkey Island one and two, um, because they're excellent to a man. I think you know Dominic Armato who plays Guybrush. It's an interesting task because when the with the original two games, obviously with no voice acting, you have to find someone who slots in. And everybody mm-hmm. at that point would have had their version in their head of what Guybrush and these characters sound like, and I think he's great. Like he's like the right level of like he's milk toast sort of, but he's also like he's rides right that line between like competent and incompetent. He's almost like a combination of uh, uh, Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom's characters from <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. He's kind of sits right in there. He's like he's a little bit of a scallywag, but he's also kind of like you know not well as we'll get to the story. He doesn't belong. <laughs> in the Caribbean very much. And there's people have pointed out like the similarities between monkey Island and the pirates of the Caribbean series. There's a lot of competing stuff online as to like whether, uh, the pirates screenwriters stole stuff from monkey Island. And I think kind of what I've gathered from researching the stuff is to the degree they're similar. It's largely because they're both drawing on the same underlying pool of piratey stuff. Yeah. Uh, so for example, the guys who made Secret of Monkey Island will cite the original Disney ride Pirates of the Caribbean as an influence. So mm-hmm. of course that stuff is going to show up in that and the movie. The one thing I found was that the the screenwriters who were working on Pirates of the Caribbean um, were were struggling with it. And the thing that from Monkey Island that helped them crack it was the idea of introducing supernatural elements um, like, you know, ghosts and pirate skeletons yeah. like that. That kind of pirate lore is what made those movies different and fun so if you like the humor in the pirates of the caribbean movies you're gonna find a lot to like here as well and the characters i think bear that out right you mentioned stan there's some really fun <laughs> characters uh, that come in the sequel for one thing they do a lot more with governor elaine marley she uh-huh. becomes much more of like a spunky uh, very funny character which is, you know she's in this she's a little bit you know in the background she doesn't do very much uh she's a huge part of the sequels there's a character named murray who's just a severed uh, skull who yeah. just yammers away. You like S rank character. Really funny. Uh, they, <laughs> they did not backport him into this, into this game uh, with the, with the remaster, but he's great. So Dominic Armada is great. I want to shout out Earl Bowen who plays LeChuck. And if you don't know who Earl Bowen is, if you've seen Terminator one, two or three, he's Dr. Silberman. He's the guy that like Sarah Connor, like puts that needle full of liquid liquid plumber up to his neck to escape the asylum He's that mm. guy. So that that is Lechuck and uh, he's awesome as well with that you know, perfect like piraty villain growl. Uh and you've got I think uh, Rob Paulson is playing a bunch of small parts in there. So another another veteran voice actor. So yeah, great cast all the way through.
0: So i just doing a little bit of research here cuz Stan has multiple voice actors.
1: Oh wow, they replaced him. Okay. They all sound pretty much the same. I mean, you heard me do it. It's it's not that yeah.
0: unique of a voice. <laughs> Hey, what do we have to do to get you into a new podcast?
1: Yeah, he is you know, the the quintessential like 80s version of, you know, a used car salesman. Yeah. Right down to the ridiculous plaid jacket yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and sales pitch. Like he feels like he's right out of like, you could picture a comedian talking about buying a used car in a spotlight in front of a brick wall at the improv. That's, you know, he, he's and very much Stan's that
0: voice. Yeah. 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 Uh really, really memorable uh characters throughout. And it's tough to talk like I I don't want to sit here and list like individual funny jokes out of context, you know, but like it is really like scene to scene uh sketch comedy is a good way to uh to talk about it. Like so the the governor's mansion is guarded by guard dogs. And you hear about these fearsome dogs before you, you go over there and you go over in front of the governor's mansion and it's a bunch of poodles uh, in front of the um, mansion, but they're not just regular poodles. They're piranha poodles. Yeah. Shades of like the, the rabbit in Holy grail, right? It's
1: a, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a seemingly harmless animal that will chew your face off.
0: Yeah. And uh, the way that you incapacitate the poodles uh, is again, kind of like a, a, quote random solution to it but it's funny and then you you get a after you incapacitate it you get like a big message that comes up on the remaster at least the remake that says like no animals were harmed in the making of the secret of monkey island stuff like that
1: yeah the uh, the narrator comes on and i think tells you like don't worry they're sleeping yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it's it's very funny and like like i said it, it's it's g-rated it's you know it's meant to be fun and they are, like you said, breaking the fourth wall all the time. They're very aware of the audience and that, that, that it's not a, a minus, it's a plus. Like it, it doesn't detract from the humor. It gives them more license to make this more of a cartoon. And yeah. the more cartoony it is, the best part of that is that it's folded into the gameplay. So the, the, like I said, the puzzle solutions fit the cartoon logic in a way that helps you a little bit, make your way through the puzzles.
0: Yeah. Um, I also, as far as the cartoony kind of vibe of it goes, I want to shout out the music, which I think is excellent throughout. Um, I had this music stuck in my head like the entire, like two or three weeks when I was kind of picking away at this game, just constantly around the house, humming the main theme to this. Uh, it's super catchy. And again, we're setting up a cartoon pirate, a, a pirate cartoon, uh, and the music kind of fits that, I think, too. Yeah, I used to be, uh,
1: for many years, I was part of an improv troupe. And one of the things I did when I wasn't on stage was I would be manning lights and sound off stage. Mm -hmm. And so we had a big library of music that was designed for, you know, whatever genre the, the show kind of evolved into, um, we'd have something ready to go. So if it was sci-fi, I'd have a bunch of electronic stuff. And if it went piratey, I had this, I had, you know, monkey Island tracks galore to fill in, uh, for, for that. And this is, I think. Some of the best pirate music ever done like it's perfectly out of you know these older pirate movies from like say the 40s and 50s um, with just a little like fun mischievous cartoon flair it's not the like Hans Zimmer stuff of, of Pirates of the Caribbean it's it's not that swashbuckly it's you know it's lighter
0: yeah yeah and people will hear that music as they listen through this episode again it's it's really really good i think this is a good time to take that music break uh listen to some more come back and we'll talk about the gameplay in the secret of monkey island So this, as a point-and-click adventure game, you are kind of walking around the levels, clicking on objects, uh, and talking with people. I will say, um, after playing The Last Door on Switch, I'm really glad I played this on PC uh, because it's just, I mean, they were made for a mouse. I would not want to play this, you know, hunting for interactable objects with a control stick. But uh, on PC, it was was good that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely you would want to play these on on something with a mouse. That is by far ideal like i said because you're gonna hit points where you're like what do i do and you by hoving the mouse back and forth over the screen um the icons might change something will happen to let you know hey i can interact with this yeah uh, and you're not just randomly clicking like there is a language to how you point and click it's interesting because you did not play it in the original format so you didn't really get a good taste of the scum engine s-c-u-m-m Which this team developed for Maniac Mansion, the MM in Scum is for Maniac Mansion, and this is the evolution of like Zork, like I was talking about, where it used to be like, okay, you type in go to door, right? Right. Now you can say walk, you can click on the thing that says walk to, and then you click on the door, and Guybrush will do it, which would then be evolved a little more. Just just click on the door, he'll walk to it. But you have in the Scum engine, I think nine bespoke verbs, which it's like walk to, push, pull. Pick up
0: open, close, stuff like that. Right.
1: And those are your that helps solve that problem that I mentioned earlier where it's like pick up mug. Oh, you can't pick up the mug. I have to say get mug to make it happen. This is like, no, no, no. we give you the verbs. But of those verbs, a lot of them are kind of special use cases. There's not a whole lot of pushing and pulling and opening and closing like once in a while. Usually mm-hmm. it's just picking up stuff, using the things in your inventory or talking to people. So it's a very simple interface, but it's like, that's all you really need to make one of these games happen.
0: It was interesting to me because I did look at the original game. I watched uh, some stuff on YouTube the other day and they had those commands on the bottom of the screen. So they had the list of those verbs and in the remake, you have to pull up a menu And so you have a menu with your verbs and then you have a different menu with your items. So in order to do one of these uh, interactions, you'd have to pull up both menus, click on this, then click on the item. Sometimes you'd have to like, say, like give item to blank or like combine. I don't remember if combine is one of them. I'm playing. Yeah, uh, you you combine (laughs) items together for sure. I was going to say, I'm playing Resident Evil right now. So combine is uh, in my head, but Sometimes you have to like navigate back and forth between these two menus. And it did kind of make me wish that those verbs were just on the screen all the time. uh, Instead of pulling up a menu every time I want to try giving something to somebody. There's
1: something in the remaster. And again, I didn't replay it this time that allows you to like cycle through them with buttons or Mm -hmm. like with the mouse wheel or something to try and simplify that a little bit. But definitely, the, yeah. The combined – I remember there's uh, in Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, which is a really good point and click adventure game by this same company. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something just hearing Indiana Jones is go like, "I think I can combine these two items," you know, <laughs> over and over again. Um, you know, they'll say the guy, he or Guybrush will say things like that, or you know, or again, you'll get the opposite. Which is, I can't combine those. You know, he'll let he'll say something amusing when it happens. But you're right. They like. There's a little bit of a clumsiness to this and some games just did it a little more streamlined than others. And this one, even with the remaster, I think it it suffers a little bit from being slightly clumsy. Um, Sierra games use a different system where there's like there's like a hand icon, an eyeball, uh, a, a pair of lips for like talk to, and then your inventory or something and sometimes there's like a, a weird one for a game like a, there'll be like a nose for like smell object. Mm-hmm. Um, I find I found the Sierra one to be a little bit smoother. For that it it's you know fewer things to click on fewer ways to interact with them but I don't think it affected like how good the puzzles were.
0: Yeah. So for an example of like a kind of interaction because what you're doing is you're trying to solve puzzles to get past barriers. Something's blocking you from going in somewhere or something's blocking you from interacting with something. So we we'll use those dogs as an example again. So Uh, In order to get past the dogs, you have to go find these special uh, spicy flowers. You have to to find some meat, put it in some stew, throw the flowers in the stew, then take it out. Um, So you have this spiced meat, give the meat to the dogs, and then they, uh, quote, fall asleep. Uh, I may be messing up exactly what that was, but that's the gist of it. So you get the idea of like sometimes you have this fairly complex string of interactions between items you pick up things in the environment. Cause like you have to sneak into a kitchen to get access to the, the cook pot, stuff like that. So sometimes these got a little bit too complex for me to kind of suss out by myself. Like I, I figured out how to get the meat. I figured out how to, um, you know, get the flowers, combining the meat with the flowers isn't enough. You have to do it in the cook pot. And so, like, that extra step was sometimes just too much for me.
1: Yeah, everything in in these games is ultimately a key and a lock Mm -hmm. of some kind. And sometimes it's obvious what you're supposed to do. More often than not, the experience is, like I said, kind of pushing against the edges and noticing, oh, the game lets me combine these two things. But you may not know what you're going to use that new thing you've created for Mm -hmm. for a while. Um, So you just know, hey, I've made some progress by changing something in the world. And over time, by doing these enough, you'll kind of work your way through what some of these are. And again, the degree to which you need a guide to do that. Um, you, you would never just look at the the you know the flowers and go. I know I'm going to use these to poison the dogs, exactly. right? You're just going to note it. At some point, you're going to go. Oh, what happens if I combine the the steak and the flowers? And it goes, I can't. And you go, Hmm. Well, I could cook the steak. Oh, it lets me cook the steak. Okay, interesting. Oh, I could throw other stuff in that pot, and you make incremental progress. It's it's not a lot of like you're never going to look at one of the larger. Uh, objectives you need to do and just immediately suss out all of the substeps. You're mostly just knocking against these substeps until your brain starts to notice, Hey, there's the, a pattern here.
0: Yeah. And I, I want to point out also that it is kind of friendly in the way that like, you can't really fuck yourself over by combining stuff that shouldn't be combined. Or like, you know, let's say you have that cook pot and you have that rubber chicken it won't let you put the rubber chicken in the cook pot and like ruin the chicken or something like that. Guybrush will say, ah, I don't think I should do that. So like you are right. When you get to one of those interactions that actually works, that means you're on the right path towards something.
1: Well, one thing to highlight about LucasArts games, and I can't, I can't say all LucasArts games, but they're usually very, um, their, their designs are watertight where, you know, yeah, like you said, you can't, screw yourself out of an item you're going to need later to progress in the game you can't like soft lock yourself whatever like and Mm -hmm. you can't die either in this game there's no interaction that will be uh, fatal sierra games famously their slogan would be save save early save often (laughs) because part of the fun of those games is like they would have these wild really imaginative like death animations and stuff but there's no checkpointing other than the checkpoints you make Mm -hmm. Um, so if you don't want to lose too much progress before, and usually you'll have some inkling that this might be fatal. It's not like totally random that, oops, this random thing killed you surprise. But still you, you could, um, be, you could find yourself in a very frustrating position. Um, legend of Corandia famously has this, uh, labyrinth that's very difficult to navigate and you'd be saving a million times to try and work your way through it before you died. And then had to go even farther back to before you started the maze or wherever you last saved. Um, the other thing that like, I remember this in King's quest five, there's an item that you need in like the final, like eighth of the game that like you travel from one I don't know, continent to another at some point, if you didn't pick up that item while you're in the first third to half of the game, when you get to the end of the game, you don't have the thing and you would have to go really far back. To undo that mistake, the better point point click adventure games would make it so that couldn't happen. Like if you were going to take the portal to the next island or whatever it might be, the character might say something like, hmm, I might have forgot something. You know, they, they won't let you make that mistake. And yeah. Monkey Island is one of those games. There is nothing you can do to like make it so your progress is is stunted in that way.
0: Yeah. So like to give an example, there's a an, an early game puzzle where these two circus uh, brothers want to shoot you out of a cannon uh, but they say you need a helmet first and you're never going to find a helmet but you'll find a bunch of objects where you're like huh i wonder if i can put this on my head and use it as a helmet so you'll go there you'll take your objects there you'll talk to them and say uh hey i think i can use this and they're like that's not a helmet come back when you have a helmet uh, and when you do actually bring something that they deem acceptable then you've solved the puzzle uh, it's not like <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, you wanna you wanna try using a watermelon uh, shell as a a helmet? Cool, and then you die and you have to restart. Nothing like that happens in this game. A Sierra game would absolutely do that. It would <laughs> let you, but it would be part of the fun of like, you know,
1: just say before you do it, it like, okay, get in the cannon, and, and then and then there'd be some funny death animation and some very funny text would pop up on the screen mm-hmm. about how you died. Um, you know, and again because of the way this is checkpointed, you just have to know of like, I should probably save my game before I shoot myself out of a cannon. Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, that's just a, it, it's just a difference in design philosophy. And, you know, that's why I think people tend to, in over the long view of history, the LucasArts games have held up better and been more beloved because they don't have stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And it, it's also probably why, like, I think that I've had LucasArts games like this and the Indiana Jones games recommended to me more so than uh, Sierra games, because I mean, anyone who knows me and the way that I uh, play games and the stuff that I enjoy, this type of design is definitely more my speed.
1: Yeah. Like I said, this, this ride goes a little more smoothly for sure. Yeah. For that reason.
0: It's not all smooth though. I mentioned before that I needed a guide. There is uh, a logic and like we, we kind of have this phrase adventure game logic. And if you played these games and you know, Sometimes the solutions are not always obvious. Sometimes they seem random. Like, I'm trying to think. There, there's a there's something you have to cook late in the game where all of the ingredients that you have to put in were not so obvious to me. And it's adventure game logic. Uh, they give you clues, but it, they're adventure game clues. Um, right. Th- this object, like
1: you, you kind of used a good example. Like, oh, well, maybe this could be used for a helmet. Yeah right? The game will never give you, will rarely say here is a helmet and you go, ah, finally I have the helmet I need. It's, oh, now I've got a colander and that's my helmet, right? Everything is one step removed
0: logically. Yeah. And so this adventure game logic, um, gives me a lot of trouble. And I, I wonder like, is there a, um, is meshing with adventure game logic born of experience, uh, playing these games, you know, Like anything that you play when you're a kid and you have a lot of free time and you have a malleable brain, uh, you may be able to like get in the groove a little bit easier than me when I'm 35 trying to play something that uses logic that's really different from other video games that I play, you know? I mean, it's like
1: anything else. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Um, I, I, you know, I grew up playing a bunch of these. I'm sure these had an effect on the way my lateral thinking works
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that, you know, I still rely upon today as an attorney of like, oh, I I might be able to combine this with other things. Um, (laughs) I can combine these two items. Yeah. And um, I think you're right. I think, you know... as an adult, you might be little, your brain might be a little more rigid in its thinking. That's actually a good endorsement to play more of these, I think. Mm-hmm. But if you def, if you were to sit down and say, like, you know what, now that I played Monkey Island, I guarantee you the next one you played, you'd probably have an easier time because all of these adventure games that like they use quote adventure game logic, yeah. unquote. Like that, that's how they all kind of go. And so once you're kind of in that mode of like, okay, I I get I get how this works now. You might have a slightly easier time with the next one, I, I but I still tend to play these with a guide, and like I'll let myself fumble around up to a point and I'll finally go like, "All right, how do I make the thing? Just just tell me what items I need, And then I'll get past it, and then I'll put the guide away for a while and go back to fumbling around. but yeah, the, you're right. I mean it, this is a a mode of logic that is by its nature, it's like Lewis
0: Carroll logic mm.
1: <laughs> more than it is Sherlock Holmes.
0: I had a trouble putting away the guide in this because I would, uh, let's say, I, I probably played the first couple hours without a guide, kind of pushing around at the edges, making like, you know, three quarters progress on all the puzzles presented to me, and then I finally hit that wall where I'm like, okay, I have no idea. And when I hit that point, especially in this kind of game where I like I don't see the path forward, I don't want to spend an hour or like the next couple play sessions, making zero progress whatsoever. So I'll open the guide up. I'm a big proponent of using guides and enjoying video games, however you want to enjoy them. So uh, this is a podcast that's very pro guide, but I'll I'll open the guide, I'll find the solution. It's usually something like, oh, uh, back in that room, there was something under the table that I didn't click on. And so I go in, I click on that, I solve the puzzle. And then the next time I hit friction, the guide comes out faster and faster until I'm suddenly, I'm just following the guide. And I'm going through these steps, especially in like the last chapter in this game, I'm going through these steps and trying to imagine the situation where I'm not using the guide. I'm like, I would never have figured out this recipe puzzle. There's no fucking way other than just brute forcing every item in my inventory, which is not a fun way to play, at least not for me. So if you have like the the hands of steel when it comes to putting the guide down and keeping it closed until you absolutely need it. That's probably the best way to play. Uh, Just not the way that I could here. Yeah. And
1: when I was a kid, like I said, I would play these over a very long stretch of time in small increments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would get to that spot you're talking about where I'm like, I feel like I've clicked on all the things. What more could I do? And I'd put it down and I'd go play something else and I would do something else. And maybe in a week, I'd pop it back open and go like, "Hey, wait a minute," and wait for my brain to kind of turn over. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think these games kind of, you know, play play a game any way you want. I'm not here to tell you how you should or shouldn't do it. I would just say that I think the intended experience from the developers is to have a little bit of like, okay. I got to let my brain refresh. Maybe I'll come at this from a different angle. Or while I'm in the shower, I'll have a revelation of like, hey, wait a minute. And then you go back to it. And so, yeah, there are games in here that probably took me a year to complete Mm. by just I only make these very slow, you know, tiny incremental deductions once in a while. And whether if you like that or not, that's, you know, that's up to you to decide what you like.
0: We were on something about adventure game logic and how it gets easier as you go and I, because I, I, I notice, because I'm playing Resident Evil, the remake of the original game, the one for the GameCube. And yeah, it's there. Adventure Game Logic is in Resident Evil. It, and I think it, like I played Silent Hill 2 also, which is around that time period, Adventure Game Logic in that game with some of the puzzles as well. It's just a little bit um, less frequent than in monkey island uh again i'm I'm the guy that compares everything to the boss baby because i've only seen the boss baby before this but uh this is there in other stuff that i play and enjoy Um, i just think it's a little bit less and maybe because i have monkey island under my belt now some of those things do go down a little bit easier but some of the resident evil puzzles are more like, oh, I found uh, the top of a piece of sheet music, and then I found a book of sheet music. Well, I'll put those together, and it's a little bit less random, you know.
1: Yeah, the the, the there is some of this to be sure in in uh, in the Resident Evil series, but it is a lot more key and lock mm. than it is uh, you know, rubber chicken and pull. system.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, walking around and talking to everybody in the town was always a good time uh, in this to like. For other things that you're doing, you're not always doing puzzles, but you are always exploring, uh, talking to people, trying to figure out like, uh, you know, if there's something I need from this person, they're probably not going to give it to me. So how do I get this from them? Uh, Maybe I need to steal something or sneak somewhere where I'm not supposed to be. How do I do that in this very limited gameplay mode of just click on the place you want to walk to or click on the door you want to open? Um, you know, there's no stealth system or something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, this game engine is not designed very well for other gameplay modes, right? <laughs> there is a one stealth section in this game, sort of. Um, and you can feel that they're uh, straining against the code to make that happen. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's just, uh, it's not meant for that. There are other point and click adventure games that do incorporate different types of things into them. Uh, and some t- to greater degrees of success or lesser degrees, um, but you're never going to get like you know much of like a first-person shooting section into one of these, or no. you know, uh, um, you know, Street Fighter style combat or whatever. Like that doesn't happen. But um, the, I think the better ones do have some degree of inventiveness in terms of going. Well, we, we got to give you something other to do once in a while than just the straight pointing and clicking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'll get to some of the, like there's one I think great part of this game that's a, a cool innovation that finds a way to use this to do something different.
0: Uh, also mention i guess if people are listening and don't know uh, about the game it is a pirate game you are you know there's uh, a quest centered around finding a sword and defeating a sword master but there is no combat um, you'll get into combat situations from time to time but they are uh, not combat combat it's it's dialogue combat this is what i was alluding to okay. before yeah the uh, the <laughs> the insult sword fighting yeah. uh, which is fantastic and another example of uh great humor This is like you
1: talk about necessity as the mother invention of going like, well, we we don't really want to have a, a, you know, a fencing simulator in this game. But we still want you to have this swashbuckling pirate experience and this solution of basically you're not trading blows. You're trading insults Mm -hmm. with the other pirates and gathering up. Basically, what you're doing is you're grinding, you're learning as you duel and f- and fail over and over again. You're learning all of the setups and you're learning all of the punchlines mm-hmm. to then use. And this was so much fun. It's in, uh, I don't I don't have a good memory of two, but I bet it's in there, but it's definitely in, in three and four. I think they bring this back in every iteration of Monkey Island because now it's kind of a signature thing in the series.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. It's fun to grind for new insults and it's fun to get into those battles and try and you know, pick the right response for what someone says and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's an example of like, we're going to use our adventure game tool set to do something that's a little just different of a gameplay mode.
0: Yeah. So uh, I guess just to wrap up gameplay and give some final thoughts here about uh, The Secret of Monkey Island before we get into spoilers. Uh, Doug, if you have any wrap up thoughts, but also answer the question, who would you recommend The Secret of Monkey Island to?
1: Oh, I'd recommend The Secret of Monkey Island to anybody. I mean, that's part of the charm of a game like this is that no matter what type of game is your type of game, um, you can play this. If you're the type of person that's like, I, you know, my thumb, my meat thumbs can't play a Souls game. Um, I can't make Mario you know, jump on what I want him to jump on. You know, they're, like I said, this is this is nothing but your brain and, um, and how much fun you want to have. Fumbling around, having silly things happen to you. So this game is, like I said, it's G rated. There's literally no but. There's I can't think of a person on Earth who couldn't pick up this game and potentially have some fun. How far you want to get into the game depends on you know again really just how much do you want to deny yourself the guide. So uh, that's the only limiter of like well if I want to do it without the guide yeah this will take you a while you'll probably get there eventually anyway but. You know, there's a reason this game has had the legacy that it's had. I will say, if you're really thinking about, I want to go play a point-and-click adventure game, this is not, you don't have to start here. Um, there are better point-and-click adventure games in this. It is just the foundational one. And so you will see echoes of this in every other one that comes after it. But yeah, I'd, I'd recommend this to anybody.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of agree. And that's that's why, like, when we talked about games for you to come on the show and talk about. We talked about other point and click games, but I kind of just gravitated toward the foundational one, which is partly because like I, I do want to go back and see, you know, the foundation. Uh, I also have that weird brain worm that tells me, well, if I'm going to get into a series, I got to start with the first one. And it's really hard to talk me out of that. So that's why we're here.
1: But yeah. And, and I'd also say, by the way, if you do think, Hey, maybe I'll pick monkey Island, 2, 3, 4, or one of the others that mm-hmm. uh, you, th- the plot is irrelevant. You will, they will uh, start you off with everything you need to know. It's, you know, uh, you do not need to play any other, uh, entry in the series in order.
0: Yeah. Good to know. And, I'm I'm glad that even if the plot is irrelevant, I'm glad I started with this one, despite, you know, misgivings about, not misgivings, uh, kind of poor experiences with the gameplay and basically devolving into, pl- if I had a second monitor, the guide would have been up on the second monitor, you know, it would have been one of those. But I did enjoy the writing enough, I enjoyed the situations, and, you know, the guide removed the friction of the puzzles for me, But it didn't take away what I think is the best part of the game, which is the writing and the jokes and the characters and the voices. That is what I'm glad I experienced here. The gameplay, I can take it or leave it. Um, And, you know, as I play more of these, maybe I'll get into the groove a little bit more. But I am glad that I played this, got to know all the characters, uh, enjoyed the jokes, stuff like that. So I recommend this to people, again, people like me who didn't play Point and Click Adventures give this one a shot. It's funny. Um, It's interesting. Don't be shy about using a guide. Yeah. Other people, I guess, like if maybe you're not super interested in like point and clicks, but you like to go back in the history of video games and play influential titles. This is, this is one of those. So recommended to people like that, you know, as a curiosity, if you want to play stuff uh, from uh, gaming history, because like you said, the stuff from this game, the tone, the writing, the interactions that you have with the environment with items and stuff uh, is seen in a lot of other stuff. Absolutely. So before we get into the spoiler section, uh, we will give you the chance to shill Nostalgia Arcanum however you want to shill it. Where can people find you? Uh, You can find our podcast wherever you find podcasts.
1: It's uh, just Nostalgium, not nostalgia, but Nostalgium Arcanum. And, um, yeah, just look for that. We're on Twitter and uh, for now, even though I'd like to find a nice lifeboat, not sure which is the correct one, but uh-huh. <laughs> Twitter gets worse every day. And, um, uh, as our, as our planet spirals uh, out of control, but mm-hmm. it's still on Twitter for now at, uh, at nostalgium pod. And we're also on Instagram there, which, uh, is where I tell people to follow us mostly because one, Twitter is dying and two, um, I'll post bonus stuff for episodes on there, different just things, uh, extra video content, things like that. And, uh, that's really it. That's the only place to find me. Oh, if you want to find me personally, my, my, uh, handle for now is at human J Sherman, cause that's how I look. And that's just the hand, uh, God has dealt me that I am sort <laughs> of John love. I am John Levitt. So there you go.
0: Uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, if people want us a place to start with nostalgia, Marcanum, again, I-, I guessed it on an episode talking about Pokemon, Um, Oh, yeah. So if you're since this is a game based podcast, we've done a few
1: game episodes. So if you're curious, that might be a place to start. We've done. Let's see what games have we done. We did Street Fighter 2. We did Myst. Uh, We're recording one on Doom tonight. That'll probably be out by the time you hear this.
0: Yep. Uh, Final Fantasy um, 6. Chrono Trigger
1: uh, with your friend, Matt storm was on that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, uh, a few game-based ones in addition to lots of, you know, movies and TV shows I'm sure you all have heard of. So, um, yeah, that's where I'd recommend you start though.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And again, uh, recommend the pod check down in the show notes for links and also down in the show notes, you'll find a link to join the discord server for tales from the backlog and my other show, a top three podcast podcast Um, Our Discord community is wonderful. We would love to have you join. We have a great group of people. Come in and talk about games. Um, If you want to come in and talk about Monkey Island, this is the week to do it. Um, But we have tons of channels, uh, lots of good discussion going on in there. If you would like to support the show, the best things to do are to uh, leave a rating and review if your podcatcher allows it. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and probably some others that I don't use uh, allow that as well. If you want to support monetarily, patreon.com slash real Jackson is the place to do it. Uh, all patrons get bonus episodes. You can vote on polls for games to appear on the show. Uh, you can also get my, not nostalgia, my retro series called Tales from the Way Backlog uh, at the $5 per month level. This game uh, won actually an informal poll that I ha- held in the Discord server where I was like, I want to play one of two games. Should I play the old one or the one that was inspired by it that came out last year? And this one won. The uh the other option uh was what is it? Curse of the Golden Idol, which is a kind of modern point and click, which I still want to play. So maybe yeah, that'll be too. on the show sometime. Yeah. Um yeah, so Doug and I are gonna take a break, and when we come back, full spoilers for the secret of Monkey Island. Trademark. <laughs> Okay, Doug and I are back, and it's time to talk spoilers for The Secret of Monkey Island. We're going to break the spoiler section down in the chronological chapters. There are three of them. We're not going to walk through the game. As uh, Doug said in the break uh, between these sections, that would just be us reading through a GameFAQs guide, and no one wants to listen to that. So we're just going to talk about stuff that's memorable. So I'll kick it to you first. What is uh, something from part one, the three trials, that um, you thought stood out? Well, we already talked about the
1: uh, sword insult combat. Yeah. And that's really <laughs> – that's uh, mostly isolated to this chapter of the game. I think that's a little bit of a, a problem in that, like, I, this should have come back at the climax somehow. And later games, I believe, do do that because it's the only combat-like mechanic you have. You would want it to be a climactic moment of the game. But um, there, there's a lot of funny things from this part, but, like, even just the opening – is great. Like you, you walk out onto this like bluff and Mm -hmm. there's a guy standing there and you don't even know where you came from. He just walks into the screen. Uh, we don't know what Guybrush was doing prior to entering this game. And he just announced, basically announces I'm Guybrush Threepwood and I want to be a mighty pirate, right? That like line gets memed to death. And there's just this old man sitting by a fire. Who's basically like, who are you? And what are you doing here? Um, why do I care that you want to be a pirate? And, um, (laughs) Just that opening alone, it just kind of tells you like you're you're immediately greeted with what the tone of this game will be. Yeah. Um, because like they're already like breaking the fourth wall and letting you taking the piss out of your character who is, you know, he does look like you know, he needs a wedgie. Mm-hmm. Um, even even more so in the original pixelated version. He he looks kind of doofy and um he, he becomes endearing over time. But yeah, like the game doesn't even tell you like who are you, what are you doing here? This like very loose goal of I want to be a pirate. Why? I don't know. Um, it's a, it's an adventure game, and you need an, you need an objective. That's why. Yeah, now go do. <laughs> so that, that stood out to me uh, looking back at it this time. But and then just yeah, the game opens the first thing you do, is they have you walk through a couple of screens. They give you a very small number of things to click on and get a send, You know, get your sea legs pun intended uh-huh. and then uh then you walk into the scum bar where things yeah. start to kind of expand
0: It's interesting with that um that that old guy on top of the cliff like part of my experience with just media in general tells me that like, oh that that old guy is going to be my mentor or something like or that. the villain or, or something the villain yeah. but no he's just a dude on top of the cliff he's just chilling
1: Yeah. Not clear what he's there to do, why he's there, what his, he's literally just there to like, basically break you down a little bit for whatever you say to him.
0: Yeah. I I will say you mentioned the insults. Uh, There is a kind of like insult uh, combat thing during the final boss fight in the chapel. It's not the sort of, I don't think you can lose it. That's the thing about that final thing.
1: No, I don't think... It doesn't have the same rhythm that this does right. where you're literally trying to solve a puzzle like what's the best punchline right. for that setup. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah. La- but later games do uh, do that, I believe.
0: That's good. Um, yeah, that that was a really memorable part. So like you try to like find the sword master. It's a whole thing to find the, um, the sword master's uh, house. Uh, you have to go get trained before you can find the sword master. So like that's a weird, uh, fun scene where you're, you're talking with this guy. He has this elaborate, like training dummy. He talks, he talks about sword fighting, like, uh, like it's sex or something like that, you know, um, kind of, a yeah, maybe the most adult thing in the game is just some little light innuendo when it comes to talking about sword fighting. But in order to get to the sword master's house, first, you have to grind. And you get into these sword fights and someone will insult you and you have a big list of responses. Uh, So someone will say like, oh, I can't believe your your smell or something like that. And the correct response will be like, well, you know, that's what happens when you open your mouth. And if you say the right thing, then you advance. And if you say the wrong thing, they advance. And by just getting into these combats, you kind of absorb. You're like a blue mage in Final Fantasy. You absorb these insults to use in further battles.
1: Right. So what'll happen is you you won't know really any insults at the top. You'll hear someone insult you. The next time you use that insult against another pirate, he'll he will know the the correct punchline most of the yeah. time and will say it. Now that punchline goes into your uh, you know your dialogue options, so mm-hmm. the next time you can say it, and <laughs> by, you just sort of do this over and over again uh, until your library of insults and uh, responses gets bigger. What I like about it is when you do finally confront the swordmaster, you're using the same setups and punchlines, but to new jokes, so yeah. they have to write the the punchline as a a punchline that works for two different potential setups because she'll say an insult to you you've never heard before, but you'll go through the list and go like, "Hey, this works." I'll say that back to her, mm-hmm. and it does, and like that's really satisfying. I think that that's why this this system kind of works well because they fold that last little final exam, quote unquote, to the end of it.
0: Yeah uh, the the process of gathering insults and responses is exactly like uh, how. Maybe you'll hear your friend use a new curse word when you're a little kid, and you're like, "I'm going to remember that. I'm going to use that." Uh, and then, you know, you'll use it. Someone will re- will react to it, and uh, it- it's just really fun. Another fun thing about that is when you have enough responses to go fight the swordmaster, the pirates will just tell you it's another fourth wall break. They'll be like, "Oh, you're good enough to go fight the swordmaster." You're like, "Oh, okay. Time to uh, time to move on." Finding the sword master was a real pain in the ass though cuz you have yeah. to you have to trick this old shopkeeper into leaving and then you have to follow him but you have to be like right on his it's not like a tailing mission where you have to like hang back cuz he'll lose you. Uh you have to follow like right behind him. He won't notice that you're there.
1: Yeah, you do have to go fairly fast to to follow that. And there's a an area of the forest that's like a a lost woods kind of maze where you can yeah. just kind of get lost forever. So you have, he he's the only one who will follow the path you need. And you, it's not one of these things where like a savvy user can like, Oh, I'll break the game. You know, next time I won't even bother with swordmaster. I'll just follow that path. It won't work. You right. have to follow him. And, uh, yeah, this was, this was confusing. Getting him to leave is not that hard, but re- making the deduction of like, I better follow him. That's the deduction that I think is harder to recognize. Like, Oh, I wouldn't think this game operates that way.
0: And it, it's, it's kind of a pain in the ass how, if you fail, you have to go all the way back because you're going to be in the woods when you fail. Probably you have to go all the way back to town, go back to his shop, get him to leave again. You have to go through the dialogue. He'll scold you for tricking him. Uh, you have to do that thing again. And so it was a process of like, oh, he left. What do I do? And then you'll get the idea. Oh, I maybe I should follow him. But this is like, maybe it's like Assassin's Creed and I have to hang back while I follow him so he doesn't see me and that doesn't work. So you have to repeat this. But every time you repeat it, it's like a couple minutes of walking across the map, going through various doors. It gets to be annoying, but sooner or later it's over.
1: A lot of point and click adventure games feature some kind of a maze
0: and I have yet to see a good one.
1: (laughs) They're They're all kind of varying levels of like shitty. Um, so yeah, this was a a little bit of a wall for me. I remember when I went through this, um, you, you have here on the notes of like, oh, what were their specific puzzles that were difficult to figure out? They're all kind of difficult to figure out and they're all because you're kind of doing all of them at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, definitely anything with a maze and it's usually tough. There's some that are fun though. Like there's a joke they repeat, um, in terms of a puzzle where like to, to start this, I think. You get a you, there's a guy who says I'll give you the map to the the swordmaster's house, and he ends up giving you like dancing instructions. Uh huh. <laughs> it's, it's like oh yo one step forward, two steps back, and the deduction is oh okay, it is dancing instructions, but it's also what you have to do in the forest to get to somewhere you want to be, right? Mm. And they do that again later on with the recipe, where it's like oh this isn't what I want, it's a recipe, but like nope, that is actually the thing. Right, they they like that. That is very classic adventure game logic.
0: Yeah, there was uh, we mentioned the poodles in front of the government, uh, the governor's mansion. But when you're inside the mansion, I thought this was a really fun scene. Uh, there's not a whole lot of like interaction that goes on inside the mansion. Uh, instead, you like go through a door, and there's this whole elaborate thing that plays out off screen, where like you get into a big tussle. But what makes it stand out is that it's still using adventure game verbs and items. So like when you use something, it'll show a a text thing at the bottom of the screen that says use uh, whatever on whatever, right? But then you have this elaborate sequence of these happening off screen, but they're all things that are not part of your normal. They're not in your inventory. inventory. Yeah, it makes no sense. So it's like, it'll it'll just pop it'll say use nail file on rhinoceros toe and there's cartoon bangs and booms happening and stuff and it's very again weird owl humor but the way that they portray it by just there's a scuffle going on you hear that but it's all playing out in your little text action thing you know like your uh your log basically is really really uh fun fits the game
1: Yeah, it's a way of playing with the medium, right? And the way they deliver jokes to you. Uh, And then I believe right after that is where you do meet Governor Elaine Marley, who you've Mm -hmm. been hearing about. Um, I don't think even say she's a girl at first. I think they just say Governor Marley. Right. And then you meet Elaine Marley, who's sort of this uh, mini driver type character.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and like I said, way more swashbuckly and like clearly the, the one who wears the pants and is the more competent between her and Guybrush as the mm-hmm. series goes on. <laughs> Not as much that here. And we meet LeChuck who they've also been like heralding like, you know, people are when you meet people, they'll talk about this guy who was this very terrifying pirate who went off to find the secret of Monkey Island and never came back uh, and is now a ghost. Uh and he I think he, he went because he was in love with Marley. And so she that he just said, I'm going to impress you by finding the secret of Monkey Island. So he's got this like ridiculous crush on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just love how he's rendered. Um, he's this blue glowing sprite. And they, they play with this in each subsequent thing. So here he's the ghost pirate, Chuck Lichuk in the sequel he's the zombie pirate lichuk he's somehow been resurrected as like this green <laughs> like dripping corpse and then in the third one he's the demon pirate lichuk and he has this like beard of fire and i think in the fourth one he cycles between all three and like again th- it sound i don't know if this sounds dumb to your audience but the point is that it's just like yeah we're going over the top with this um think you know um jeffrey rush from pirates but s- even sillier
0: mm-hmm. And that explains why he um eventually kidnaps the governor and the kind of thing that will help you finish part 1 and move on to part 2 is you have to get a ship um also interesting how like unexpected to me but kind of makes sense that that initial plot thing of the three trials to become a pirate is out the window like as soon as you're done with them the pirates are gone now you're moving on to other things and it's never a thing again
1: it's very much a, a, an adventure game especially this co- style of adventure game uh where it's all comedy that it's just like you did these amazing trials and everything is this anticlimax of just like yeah. oh well great here here's your you know here's your certificate great thanks now you're a pirate yeah. <laughs> whatever they do um and all of the pirates you meet especially in this early section in the bar they're so great for the world building of like that you're you're always you come in there expecting you know something on the along the lines of more realism from these pirates or like you know that kind of a tone and then immediately they're just like nope they're all cartoons they're all very silly um the governance of this island by this pirate council it's a lot of the like picture the joke from pirates of the caribbean where they're like well they're more like guidelines really like mm. that's that is that joke over this entire game
0: yeah um, I, I remember going in and, you know, just, you see a bunch of mean looking pirates sitting at the table and you're like, well, they're not going to help guy brush. And you go up and talk to them. and You're like, yeah, sure. You want to become a pirate? Here's the things. Yeah. And it's part of like this. It's part of also like, yeah, sure. Kid, you want to be a pirate? Go do these three impossible tasks and then come back. But they don't, they're not like mean to you or anything like that. So yeah, the, those pirates are fun. Um, speaking of fun, this is when you start to uh, deal with Stan, when you have to find a ship <laughs> to go find Monkey Island. And uh, if if there's anything that I remember from this game, it's, it's going to be me going – it's going to be Stan and me walking around my house doing the Stan voice to my dog and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like we said, he, he is this 80s uh, used car salesman. The design on his jacket is really fun. So he's got this like bright plaid design that doesn't move with his body. It's just like the background is plaid and he kind of moves in front of it. It's very hard to describe Uh in words what's (laughs) happening visually. This is an artifact of like they did this with pixel art and they just they couldn't do anything so complicated. But they really needed that plaid for the joke that was that was just had to be in there. Every subsequent iteration of Monkey Island, no matter how good the tech, still does this with Stan's jacket. <laughs> so like, even in like 3D or, you know, in the fully animated uh, third one. So it's just this is a part of this character is this absurd jacket and his arm movements, which yeah, literally it was, it's, it's, it's just like, gonna say, it's like he's punching in random directions all he's, the
0: time. He's one of those um, inflatable things outside of the car dealership with the, the yes. arms waving around in the wind. Yeah. Uh, so he's great. Yeah, you get into this bargaining thing with Stan to to get a ship, and it's Stan's used ship emporium, I think it's called. So, which which is funny. You you know, who wants a a lightly used ship? And he's got a bunch of ships that are in disrepair around the. Yeah, some uh, the of them dock. are like half. They're like half sunk in the yeah, water. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, but you have to haggle with him to get this ship. It's it's another puzzle that I had trouble with because, uh, well, he's an effective salesman, and part of the uh, part of the way you have to solve it is he gives you all these like add-ons basically uh there's like you you know you want the window defoggers and stuff like that and i'm like i don't know that sounds alright but you have to say no to everything and um then you in classic like used car fashion in order to get the best price you have to threaten to leave and all of that stuff which i did suss that out you know my experience haggling in asia taught me to leave to get a better price uh, but this was a kind of fun puzzle. One, I needed the guide to ultimately solve, but like dealing with Stan is fun. His writing is some of the best because yeah. every up
1: thing he tries to upsell you on is funny. He'll tell you yeah. all these anecdotes about, you know, the little old lady who used to pilot the ship around or whatever. Like all those, all the like, um, like just classic punchlines for a used car salesman. They do, yeah. and they do it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing we should mention, so you spend some time before you even get here, um, dealing with the, this, um, sheriff on the island, uh, who turns out to be LeChuck in disguise. Yeah. Uh, he's throwing you, he's constantly throwing you in jail and stuff. The only thing that like, this is where a little bit of the voice acting hurts the game because, in text, you have no inkling that this is, in fact, LeChuck. Oh, but right. In voice, you're like, that sure actor. sounds a lot. Yeah, it's the same voice actor. sure <laughs> sounds a lot. There's only so many pirate voices this guy can do. Yeah. You know, so that, that hurts it a little bit. But yeah, all of the, like, the guy in jail that you have to bust out is very funny. Um, yeah.
0: The, by, the joke. Yeah, he, yeah. The joke about Grog and how Grog is, like, um, just the most <laughs> caustic uh substance out there, but all the pirates are just downing it in the bar. Every everyone who lives on this island, all the all the natives, they're they're all about it. Uh it's what they do. And you spend a lot of time
1: yeah, you spend a lot of time on Melee Island. This is the longest part of the game.
0: Yeah. Uh um, and yeah. But the the idea that um that grog is this caustic thing, there's a puzzle to get the guy out of the jail, which is what reminded me, where you have to steal a cup from the bar and you know run from the bar over to the jail and it, it will, eats through the cup over time. It will through the cup, and so you have to do it quickly. Um, and I think you have to like transfer it to a new cup at some point.
1: Yeah, you have to get two cups because you can; it won't survive the journey. So you have to transfer it to a new cup so it'll make it all the way to the uh, where the prison is.
0: Yeah, so that that's you know just endlessly funny. Uh, every joke that involves grog, including in the last chapter, there's another one, um, is good.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, so yeah, so we get it, we get a boat from Stan after enough haggling uh, with pieces of eight. Yeah. And, uh, and you have your, your piratey crew of the sword master, the guy you sprung from prison and, uh, who's the other guy, the chef, I um,
0: the, there's a guy in this house on this island that has, uh, he has like a, a deadly creature in a closet or something.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. You tame you, you, or you stick your hand in there and you, you can't believe you did it. And it's like, a what is it? A it it's just or a bird. chicken or something. A yeah. bird. Yeah
0: something so, something innocuous right uh so that's part of your crew and in part two it's um a great joke that like you hire these you hire like a prisoner uh you hire this like big buff pirate you hire the sword master and then as soon as you get out on the journey all of your crew is like now nah, we're just sunbathing we're not really interested in helping anymore
1: yeah it's an instant mutiny
0: yeah <laughs> which to be fair Guybrush, not the most inspiring uh, pirate leader, either through motivation or fear. And he never will be, Not <laughs> <laughs> any of the
1: sequels. <laughs>
0: um, this is a really short chapter, though, part two. Uh, it's really just trying to um, find Monkey Island and then get to it. Uh, so okay. there's two big puzzles. Uh, you have to make this concoction that basically knocks you out so that you kind of hallucinate your way to Monkey Island, something like that. There's some supernatural thing happening.
1: Yeah. You have to somehow like, you can't be found while you're trying to find it or so, something like that. It's uh you need, yeah, you need to knock yourself out. I forget what you used to do it, but the, the other thing is you're still, you make two recipes, you make the knockout recipe and then you make the recipe for uh blowing yourself out of the cannon to get to from the ship to Monkey Island.
0: Yeah. So this is a really tough puzzle for me. I like, I had to use the guide. So I have the recipe here. Um, This is the one that makes the fume that knocks you out and then magically takes the ship to Monkey Island. So the recipe is four leaves of mint, uh, one human skull pressed, one squirt of squid ink, two pints of monkey blood, uh, one live chicken, and three ounces of brimstone. So what you actually have is you have some breath mints, uh, the pressed skull is a Jolly Roger flag, which, I mean, I guess you could have figured that out. Um, squid ink, you have a bottle of ink. Monkey blood, uh, you have a bottle of wine that you use for that, which, eh, I, I wouldn't have gotten that. One live chicken, you have the rubber chicken with the pulley, and then uh, brimstone, you have gunpowder. So, like, there was just a couple of these where, like, the the leap of logic that monkey blood means wine and not something that I didn't already have, you know? Stuff like that. This, this is the kind of thing where I'm like, maybe I would have bashed my head on it and just like brute forced everything. But I'm glad I had the guide for this.
1: Yeah. Part of that is also like how curious are you about seeing all of the jokes in the game? Because there would be a time where maybe I would have gone into my inventory and used the examine tool to look at everything because anything you look at, you don't just look at it. Like Guybrush will say something about what it is. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't remember if this is the case, but if you look at the wine, it might say like, ah, monkey vineyards or something, you know, there might yeah. be something like that, that, that gives it away, but you have other, but you would need the impetus to do it. Cause otherwise you're like, well, I know it's a bottle of wine. I don't need to click look at wine. Exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, that, that's the kind of thing where like, having that kid brain and going like, I wonder if he does something funny when I do this. Um, sometimes that yields the solutions.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the other puzzle to get off the, uh, the ship is like the sequence of events to shoot yourself out of the cannon again. And I like that the, the joke of Guybrush shooting himself out of cannons gets brought back uh, after chapter one, but the, Sequence of events and timing that you have to do them in to shoot yourself out of the cannon was uh, really frustrating because it's a very short timer. And so it would have been a thing. And again, it's one of those where when you fail, you have to go back down under the ship, get more um, fire. I think it is something that's on fire. Bring it back out. Try again. Probably fail because you don't know the exact sequence of things you have to do. Go back, pick it up again, again, uh, straight to the guide. I can't argue with that.
1: <laughs> it's you know some of these things are on shorter timers um, and better point click adventure games would either give you more time or they would make it a little easier to just restart the fire. Um, you know it, it's it's just kind of again a victim I think of being early on in this genre. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's yeah. not perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, i uh, not really lo- not looking for an argument per se or a yeah. defense of anything. It's just kind of like, yeah, this this kind of sucked. And it's it's one of the two big halves of this chapter.
1: Yeah, it is it is a
0: very short chapter. Uh,
1: yeah. the, the, everything mostly goes a little quicker once you get off of Melee Island.
0: Yeah, I, I would say Melee Island was. If I played this game for six hours, Melee Island was maybe like three and a half and then. A half hour for this chapter, and then two for the last chapter, basically. Right. Uh, so part three, you go to Monkey Island um and you're trying to find LeChuck's hideout. And this is um it's actually like bigger than Melee Island. Bigger map to explore probably a similar or slightly more places, like locations to go walk around and find stuff in. And this is the part where there are places you need to go to that are not marked, where it's like, oh, you need to go to the, you know, the crossing of these two rivers. But there's nothing on the map other than a crossing of two rivers. There's not a. Sometimes they'll put a dot that says, this is a place you can go to, but not for that. So, like, that's where, like, this pixel hunting came in.
1: Yeah. And again, I don't know for sure if it's a little easier to do the pixel hunting on the 640 by 480, you know, original version of it. But you're right. This island is a little bigger, it's a little harder to explore and uh i think they want to give you that sense of you know what they've been building to which is that this is an island that nobody comes back from you know yeah. alive Uh, and you know, it's full of mystery. And of course the, the trademarked secret of monkey Island, which they never reveal uh, what the secret actually is. I think maybe in the fourth game, there's something that happens on the, on the, you could, could could call that. Maybe that was the secret, but that's part of the, the joke you know, it's just, you're never, there is no secret of monkey Island.
0: Yeah. I thought that maybe, maybe the secret of monkey Island is how to get to monkey Island because that's a, a, like, you can't just sail there. Yeah, it's you have to get this fucking magic spell concocted to uh to get there. But anyway, uh Monkey yeah. Island's also notably dangerous because of the cannibals that are there and these are some memorable um characters. There's also a uh, a pirate uh, like a, a lost shipwrecked pirate uh on there. Herman Toothrat. Yeah, <laughs> which is a great name for a pirate.
1: Yeah, he's awesome. He's the, you know, he's the the classic uh, you know crazy old hermit character he's been stranded on this island for you know twenty some odd years. I believe it's revealed in a subsequent game this is Elaine's father. Uh so Mm -hmm. he's been you know his mind is totally gone. And he talks all about his like missing partner who he was stranded with. Yeah. Because now he can't leave the island because it takes at least two people to operate the a ship. Um, to get off of the island so he's been there forever and you're constantly running into him and he's like you're mostly just like in his hair like hey that's my you know whatever leave it alone but he is very funny like i i like that character a lot
0: and i like how he's he's kind of like this down on his luck character even when you offer to help him he's still like when you leave the island he gets left behind just everything kind of leaves him behind uh that kind of that kind of butt of all those jokes you know he also has like a feud with the local cannibals. Uh, this is a funny joke that I, um, remembered that he lent them his banana picker and I'm like, okay, what the fuck? What's a banana picker. And when you actually find it, it's a giant set of hands, uh, like a contraption with just a cartoonishly big, uh, set of hands to reach up and pull bananas down or something like that. And it's, it's in a room that's too small to get it out. You know?
1: Yeah. The, all of this stuff works. The monkeys are, you know, kind of—they're wandering all over the island, sort of like the sword-fighting pirates were on the first island. And so you have to like befriend the monkeys by giving them bananas, which is why you need the banana picker. Um, you have to rearrange this like um, bunch of rocks on kind of a, a seesaw to make them fling these rocks into places you need them to go to to block the river to then. They uh, create a dam that'll allow yeah. you to access another point. Uh, it's a lot of wandering all over the island to do these things. You're eventually captured by the cannibals. Uh, and I love that you can just sort of, you just walk out. It's not not really much of a jail. Um, yeah. The, the they cannibals
0: kind of look at you, even though there's no, uh, there's one other person on the island. They kind of look at you and they're like, ah, you just like, our nutritionist told us that like, you're not... You're not going to be good for us, so we're going to let you go. You're not useful in that way, so yeah,
1: yeah. They're dieting cannibals, I guess, yeah. uh,
0: and they've all got these ridiculous
1: heads on. Like, there's like kind of like a stereotypical, um yeah, you know, cultural appropriation mask you could expect, but that's not what they're wearing. They're wearing like like one guy looks like a giant lemon for a head or something. Like they're all. I think very, his name's Lemonhead. Yeah. Yeah, like they, they're just. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they're so cartoony as
1: to like avoid stereotypes. It
0: kind of like we're not going to make this like a caricature of one culture. So we're just going to have a bunch of stereotypes in here. And then also they have weird personalities uh, that you would not expect. For, they're not like um, they're not like barbarians or something like that. They're all like very intelligent. Yeah
1: they're always playing against type like that's that's big for these games yeah. a lot of them where they will do that where they have their characters that are like we're going to show you a trope but we're going to do something so different with the trope that you know it's it's more fun than just like oh okay some more cannibals in a you know a, a Caribbean pirate type movie like no that's not what they are these are not the guys who like chase Johnny Depp in the second one and are going to cook him like these are they're much sillier than yeah
0: there's a couple of these. I think it's one of these cannibals, maybe one other character in the game, that had like that old school stereotypical gay voice. You know what I mean? Like the big gay owl voice uh, from mm-hmm. South Park. Which uh, when I heard that, I was like, oh yeah, that that used to be a thing. That's gone out of style now. Yep,
1: <laughs> that's uh, that's that's 2009 or whenever this came out. Like that would yeah. have been more accepted for sure.
0: 2009, but also well, I guess the the Original game didn't have voice acting, as you said. Correct. So,
1: so yeah, the characterization for these were all in the text, which mostly, like I said, if you swap, if you take the voice acting out, the jokes are still funny. Like they still yeah. work. Yeah, for sure. Um. So yeah, credit to that writing.
0: Yeah. Um. This island part I thought was uh first annoying with the amount of like crisscrossing and backtracking you have to do from cannibal to beach to other location back to cannibal village yada 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 eventually the game uh gets to a point where they start skipping that and they start saying like a long walk later in a loading screen and then later it'll be like a long walk a brief row and a short hike later and it skips all of that backtracking in a kind of again self-aware way that this this game kind of works in
1: yeah i mean like i said this game has been self-aware from the first screen yeah <laughs> so you know it that that's very in keeping of having the narrator just go yada, yada, yada. You, you know, you trekked across the Island yeah. Uh, until you, you open up the giant monkey head by using a giant Q-tip
0: yeah, to clean it's, out its ear. Exactly. Yeah. Again, very, uh, very on brand for this game's uh, sense of humor. It's also like, um, I thought there was a fun joke where you get a, you pick up like this fake totem uh, to trade to the cannibals in order to like I think it's to get the banana picker back or something like well, that well
1: you you steal the the totem somehow from I think in front of the monkey you're giving some back front of their the monkey, own totem, yeah
0: you're, you're giving it back to the cannibals, but it was made by the cannibals, but like the one who made it is too dumb to recognize his own work, even though his name is on it, so right, yeah, uh fun joke
1: yeah, again, very very Monty Python, very Mel Brooks, like spaceballs kind of stuff,
0: yeah. Is there anything else about the island section before we kind of get to the part where Lech- where we start dealing with Lachuk and the pirates?
1: Yeah, I just think the, the I love the severed head that you get from them because oh, the they basically tell head. you like, yeah, like you can't you can't navigate the there's this like lava cave under the monkey head that leads to where LeChuck has stationed his uh, his ship. Yeah, and they tell you, oh, you can't now na- you'll get lost, and it's just like the forest in the first part of the game. Like you can't navigate this without help. Right. And so eventually you get this, um, yeah, this really weird looking uh, severed head of a navigator and you hold it out in front of you when you're in the maze and it will like look around and, and it'll hove in on like one of the exits to the, the room mm-hmm. and that's the one you need to go in. But the I love the voice of that head. Like it's just the delivery of everything he does is great. And then eventually he like, he has an argument with Guybrush about you know, like, well, I mean, why do I need to help you? And then he's like, I think I have the leverage here. I'm just going to throw you in the lava. It's like, well, then you'll get lost. Like, okay, well, then you'll be lost too. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, the, <laughs> the logic of how he like Guybrush sort of talks the head into helping him is very funny.
0: There was also a part in that uh, convincing where like you it kind of devolves into Guybrush saying please and the head's like, no. And he's like, pretty please. And you go through that whole pretty please with a cherry on top. Yeah, well, you see that stuff in your. Like, when you have any dialogue, you'll usually
1: have, like, at least four possible things you can say. Uh-huh. Um, there's never, quote unquote, a wrong thing to say yeah. because eventually you'll get to where you need to go anyway. But, like, it's one of those things where, like, some of them will cycle forever. So you might go, like, please, pretty please, pretty please with sugar on top, a couple more, and then it'll go back to please. Pretty, but this <laughs> isn't one of those. This is one where you do just the solution to the puzzle is just beg them until you wear this thing down.
0: Yeah. So uh, eventually you get to find um, the the pirate ship. And before you can confront LeChuck, uh, there's a stealth section on the pirate ship. Earlier in the game, there was like very light stealth. Uh, there's one where you have to sneak into the kitchen of the bar. And then there's one where you can trick the owner of the shop to leave because you have to steal something from his safe. But this is like an extended stealth thing. And one of those ones where if you fuck up, they kick you off the ship and you have to go back in. Not that it's like a giant deal to go back in, but stealth section in a non-stealth game again. Yeah. You have to turn yourself invisible uh,
1: is the the trick to it. And uh, with some magical, whatever it is, and you sneak around the ship, you're trying to figure out where uh, Governor Marley is hidden on the ship. You need to open certain gates. You need to get past various ghost pirates without alerting them. You need to steal stuff, but you're mostly looking for this route that the cannibals say they can use to make a potion that destroys ghosts. It's yeah. the, you know, the, the MacGuffin that you need, the bat, they should just, they might as well call it like the antagonist eliminator.
0: Yeah. This is a, a funny part in the boat where you have to um, get something from a sleeping pirate. And in order to, it's uh it's actually a jar of um, grog, actually a ghost grog, I think um, right. you have to tickle his feet with a, a ghost feather that you get from a ghost chicken. Um, You use the ghost grog to like uh, melt the lock off of a treasure chest, uh, which is, I think that's where you get the root actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, uh, you get that root and um, LeChuck's not there. They've gone to the church uh, to do a wedding. Um, And this is where you get into that final war of words with LeChuck and you'll trade insults, but they're all uh, insults that end with, like blank-osity. So he'll say like, I can't believe it, your yeah. atrocity. I can't believe your felicity. I can't believe your validity. And right. none of them even from. make sense after a while. No, like those words don't
1: mean anything.
0: Which is funny. It's part of the joke that like, you're just saying words that end with, you know, C-I-T-Y. Uh, but although I will say before we even get to that, yeah. you do
1: so this, we've been meeting this like Lechuk second in command, who's this um, cute little skeleton voiced by another Rob Paulson voice. Uh, and he turns out to be, um, Toothrot's missing partner. Oh, right. Like he, and he, he died and, uh, I guess got a new job working for, for LeChuck. (laughs) Um, but he's just very sweet and funny. Um, cause that's like when LeChuck's not around, like all of the, the ghost, like skeleton pirates are also kind of cute and nice.
0: Yeah. They're chilling basically. Um. I thought that what happens after the final confrontation with LeChuck is really good, uh, really funny. So you actually get into a fight with him, and uh, he punches you, and he'll punch you up into the air, and you'll like fly up, and so you'll see the map screen like you're that high up in the air, cartoonishly. Um, And you'll land at all the locations around the island, and this will just continue infinitely until you figure out how to beat him. And uh, it took me a while. So uh, Guybrush got knocked around for a while in my game.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, again, it's one of those things where it's like, we're not going to let you fail this, right? The software is like, we, we know, right. you know you're, you're here at this point. And so you might have to repeat certain things, but you're never going to fail it. It's just a matter of you waiting until you figure out how to uh, deliver the, uh, the antagonist-eliminating ghost-killing spray to LeChuck to get rid of him. Yeah. Isn't it root beer? That's what. yeah you put the you put the <laughs> you put the root inside root beer because there's this you you when you land you're at stands and you land uh, in a vending machine right there's a vending machine right there so you take the root beer you put the root in the root beer and you shake it up and you spray him with it and uh, that is the end of lechuk and you and governor marley can finally be together
0: Yep. Yeah. uh also of note um got uh what's his name lechuk lands in stands uh emporium and stan tries to sell him a ship and guy Bra- or uh, lichuk punches him up into the air which is really funny yeah
1: yeah i, I mean th- like i said this game has a very consistent tone from beginning to end and that tone is not too far off from you know warner brothers cartoons
0: yeah stan will sell a used ship to anybody or he'll try to yeah so even the yeah, dread that's... pirate lichuk yeah yeah <laughs> So that is uh the end of The Secret of Monkey Island. Is there anything else that we wanted to get into before uh before finishing up?
1: I don't think so. I mean, as we sort of said like there's barely a story here. It's, you know, Guybrush yeah. wants to be a pirate, he finds out Elaine gets kidnapped, he goes to rescue
0: Elaine and then he does. Yeah. Um, you know, no no real intrigue. Yeah, just memorable moments and jokes along the way and some frustrations. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, as we sort of said before, like trying to recount the plot of this game does a disservice to what it is because it is just sketches it is just you know, these these memorable encounters you have with whether it's with like the circus duo yeah. or with you know with Herman or the cannibals or you know any of the, the your your mutinous crew anyone you meet along the way it's just an excuse for these writers to shine and because they so often do like that's what makes the experience go down so well
0: yeah And that's why I ended up, I mean, I I have a positive memory of this game. You know, I finished it uh, three, four weeks ago now. And um, this game lives in my memory as a positive experience, despite really having trouble with the gameplay um, because the writing and the jokes and the situations are so strong, fun, memorable, good adjectives, you know?
1: Yeah, and they maintain that quality. Definitely in uh, the second one, which is the same team. And believe it or not, I think that even though Monkey Island's three and four are a different writing team, the tone is so well established that I think those games both are pretty funny. Like I said, they have Murray in them, which is one of the funniest characters in the series. And mm. for the new one, I believe they got back the the original team. Uh, of, I don't know if Ron Gilbert and Tim Schafer on it, but... Um, I know again, Ron like, Gilbert's
0: on it, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's more of the same, like... Um, if you like this tone, there are a lot of games that will deliver this to you. And um, I was recently on an episode, uh, well, not recently by the time you hear this, but of a uh, side quest talking about my favorite point and click adventure game, which is conquest yeah. of the longbow, which is a Robin hood based game. And even that, like, again, rides a tone of like, we want to give you this like medieval Robin hood adventure. So it's not super like cartoony and funny. That's not what it is. But even still, it's like every time you click on the wrong thing, there's usually something interesting or funny that happens. And, mm-hmm that's the genre. That's all of these.
0: Yeah. And I, I I don't know when the next one of these I'll play is. Uh, it might be a more modern one, like Curse of the Golden Idol. Curse? Case? I can never remember. I mixed those Case, up. Case, I think. Yeah. That game, uh, that game sounds uh, really good, but it's mostly the Return of the Oprah Din comparisons that that game gets that makes me want to play that, more so than point-and-click adventure gameplay. But you know, I I do have it in me to experience more fun little stories like these, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's what, what are you in the mood for, right? This is, this is a very um, specific flavor of game. And think of something like anchovies, right? Like you, those are, those can be really good when put on the right salad or in a pizza, like once in a while, you don't want to just eat cans and cans and cans of them. Um, And (laughs) I think point and click adventure games are kind of like that. Like they're, you know, this is a good flavor. It's good to spread it out do it a little every once in a while. It's always going to be like, you're never going to not have fun because the best ones are always delivering you something funny. Mm -hmm. How much you want to power through the puzzles themselves is kind of up to you.
0: Yeah. Well, Uh, we have powered through the story of the secret of monkey Island. Um, I appreciate you taking, uh, almost two hours now to, uh, to talk about this game. This has been awesome. Uh, My pleasure. This has been a treat.
1: I I'm really glad we got to do this. Be happy to do it again. Anytime. Um, I, I just, these games were such a huge part of my childhood and I know for a lot of people, um, they spent a lot of time pointing and clicking away. So, uh, yeah. Thanks again for the opportunity. This was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Same here. Definitely have you back on sometime. And uh, for everybody listening, I appreciate you sticking it out to the end, as always. Uh, If you want to listen to Nostalgia Marcanum, which I recommend, again, go down in the show notes, find the link. As I'm signing off the show, as you're listening to the music uh, at the end of the episode here, queue up an episode of Nostalgia Marcanum. There's going to be something there for you uh, that appeals to your nostalgia, because at this point, um, there's enough episodes. Something that's been done already will appeal to you so oh yeah for sure thank you everybody for listening and as always tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog